We are looking at the life of Jesus through uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, And uh, we're supposed to start John chapter 7 today, but we're going to skip ahead uh, to John chapter 12. But we'll come back to John chapter 7 after Easter. Um, But want to look at a couple of events over the next couple of weeks. A couple of major events, I think, in the life of Jesus uh, to kind of capture, you know, this Easter week. And so, um, and what we see in John chapter 12 is Jesus... Uh, coming into Jerusalem on this Sunday that's known as Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is, it marks the beginning of Holy Week. And, and Jesus, he comes into to Jerusalem uh, with uh, riding on a donkey's colt. And uh, this parade gathers around him. His reputation has kind of gone before him. People have seen him perform miracles. They heard him teach. And as he's coming into Jerusalem, people are lining the streets and they're waving these palm branches uh, and they're shouting at him and they're declaring that he is the king of Israel. And in this passage, not only is John trying to show us uh, that Jesus is is king, um, but he's also trying to show us why Jesus is king. And, uh, you know, Jesus, his royalty is tied to the simple fact that, that every great quality, every positive characteristic known to man and even unknown to man come together in the person and in the heart of Jesus. And what we see today is we see on one hand, uh, we see the, the power and, and strength and might and majesty of King Jesus, but also on the other hand, we see the gentleness and meekness and humility and tenderheartedness of King Jesus. And what makes Jesus so great is that we have all these wonderful characteristics and qualities come together in him. And so three things this morning that we see in scripture, let me just give them to you up front. And then we're going to uh, point them out as we go along and unpack them a little bit. Um, but three things that we see this morning. What is true kingliness? Because we all have this story. Uh, we all long for a story of a true king, okay? Ever since we're, you know, been being told bedtime stories as a child, we all long for a true king. And so what is true kingliness? We need to know that. Um, how does it appear uh, in Jesus? And then how does it appear in us? That's where we're going this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12 this morning. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we're going to put it up on the screen or you can pull it up on your uh, uh, phone. Um, but these three things, what is the true kingliness? Uh, what is true kingliness? Uh, how do we see it in Jesus and how do we see it? Uh, how, do, how does it appear in Jesus and how does it appear in us? So John chapter 12 this morning, beginning in uh, verse 12 says, the next day, um, the great crowd, and the reason why there's a great crowd is because, again, they, they've seen the miracles. I mean, some of these people were there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. They're like, oh, my God. And uh, news is traveling. Word is traveling. They've heard him teach. And some of these people were fed, you know, when they were hungry, feeding of the 5,000, which was more than 15,000. And so the next day, a great crowd that had come for the festival, so there's this big holiday going on, Uh, in Jerusalem heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting Hosanna 
Now, now Hosanna is just an expression of joy. It's an expression of, of adoration and, uh, and praise. They say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, now let's talk about true kingliness and what that is. True kingliness is, is a very unique combination of being both fierce and meek at the same time. That a, that a true king is not, is not you know, uh, partly fierce and, and partly meek, um, but a true king is, is ultimately fierce and ultimately meek all at the same time. See, a, a, a true king is invincible on the battlefield, but also tender-hearted when he's with his friends. A, a, a true king, his eyes will flash with anger at the, at the sight, at, at evil and injustice, but his eyes are also the first one to be filled uh, with tears at our sorrow. A, a, a true king uh, is the bravest soldier, but also a true king is also the sweetest friend. See, every story that's been told, every fairy tale that's been told, every movie that we've seen attempts to portray this, this concept, this idea of an ideal king, an ideal prince, an ideal hero. But the problem is in these stories, eventually they show the flaws of the hero. They show the flaws of the kings. They show that, that the, the prince is not perfect. Even with real kings. I mean, you know, while a king is, sits on the throne, nothing bad is written about him. Because if you dare criticize the king, you know, it's off with your head. But once the king dies and he's no longer sits on the throne, he's no longer in power, stories start to be told. History begins to be written about their faults and their transgressions and their, their, their injustices. And so it would seem impossible for us to have complete bravery and complete meekness exist in the same king, in the same person, in the same heart. And so, so to get the concept of, of true kingliness or that Jesus is the true king, we have to go to Revelation 5. And you don't have to turn there. We'll put it up on the screen. <clears throat> but in Revela the book of Revelation, it's also written by the, by the, the apostle John. And John has been exiled. He's at the end of his life. Um, he's the last remaining disciple. Um, all the others have been executed and tortured in, in various ways. Uh, and John remains, and he's living in exile on this island, and God gives him a vision of the end times. God gives John a vision of what heaven will be like. And, and, and as we read Revelation, uh, John is he, he's, he's, he's grasping to describe what he's, what he's seeing because you'll see language like, I see something like this, and then he'll describe. And I'll see something, you know, that, that looks like this, and then he'll describe it. And so, but this is what he writes in Revelation 5 about the true king, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion? We've already, we sang about the lion, right? 
And in the opening song, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I looked up, swiping the tears from his eyes. He looks up and he saw a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne. See, the one true king is both a fully lion and fully lamb at the same time. And it's difficult for us to get our minds and our hearts around one true king because it seems impossible that both, both being strong and being meek can coexist. That being invincible and tenderhearted, just and merciful, brave and compassionate can all exist in all its perfectness, all at the same time, in the one heart, in one mind, in one person. But we have a king who is exactly that, and his name is Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So that's what true geekliness is, and our hearts long for it. So how, do, how does it appear in, in Jesus? Well, let's go back to John chapter 12. Uh, John chapter 12 says in verse, uh, verse 14, Jesus found a, a young donkey and sat on it. And this, this is significant. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated at a, on a donkey colt. And so this is how it appears in Jesus. Jesus specifically rides into Jerusalem on a donkey's coat, colt. Because in, uh, in Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to Jesus, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, this passage is written about the Messiah, the one that God had promised to send to the people of Israel. And it was written 500 years before Jesus was ever born. And so God had promised one day to send this Messiah, this, uh, th- this one that would redeem or rescue the people of Israel. And a lot of the people of Israel, they thought that the, the Messiah would be this strong, you know, a military figure or this uh, intelligent political figure that could somehow unite the people of Israel. But, but most of the people thought the Messiah would come and liberate Israel from the Romans and make Israel a superpower again. And so the Messiah was supposed to be strong and powerful and brave and, and riding in on a, on a chariot or, or at least being carried by servants. But here uh, in, in John chapter 12, we see Jesus meek and lowly and humble and gentle riding on a donkey's coat. And, and it's as if Jesus is saying, I have come to liberate you, not from, not from the Romans, Because how would that really help you, okay? I know that's what you want, but how would that really help you? Because you would still be, you would still be, have to deal with the problem of sin and death. You would still have to be, have to deal with the problem of a purposeless and meaningless life. But Jesus says, I've I've come to deliver you from something far more oppressive than Roman rule. I've come to deliver you from sin and death. And Jesus, he came to live the life that we can't live and die the death that, that we deserve. Man, there's an author and theologian named John Stott. 
And he writes this about this phrase that Jesus came to live the life we can't live and die the death that we deserve. He writes this, that the essence of sin is is substituting us for God. Okay, you follow me? That substituting us for God is us putting ourselves in the place of God, sitting on the throne of our own hearts, determining what's right or what's wrong, determining what we agree with, choosing what we want to do, that we're the boss of our lives and we'll live the way we want to live. And don't you dare God tell me what to do or how to live. So the essence of sin is us substituting us for God. And the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. That's the essence of salvation. That's the essence of forgiveness. And Jesus says, I have come in weakness so that I could free my children. I can free my subjects up to to serve and celebrate the one true king. Look at verse 16 through 19. It says, at first, the disciples did not understand all this. I mean, here Jesus is. He's riding on this donkey's colt. And people are, you know, waving palm branches and shouting, you know, at the king of Israel. They didn't fully understand it. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So now they're... They're connecting the dots anyway. Oh, oh, this, this Old Testament passage pointed to Jesus. This Old Testament passage pointed to Jesus. All these sacrifices that were made at the temple, the, all these sacrifices pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. And now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees, and they're the religious leaders, they're the uh, leaders of the Jewish community, they're the religious do-it-alls, said, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. In other words, they knew that their, their, their power and their control and their manipulation over people was being broken. You see, his glorified hour that John talks about is his death and his resurrection. And it wasn't until the disciples were in their greatest darkness and greatest weakness that they realized that Jesus' greatest strength was making himself weak to save us. And that's what makes him both a lion and a lamb all at the same time. And that's what makes him the one true king all of our hearts have longed for our whole lives. So how how can it appear in us? See, Palm Sunday doesn't just show us his meekness and his lowliness and his humility. It also shows us his power and authority and majesty. See, palm branches, they, they, they were used in this day, not, not just on Palm Sunday. This isn't a one-off event. Palm branches were used to welcome a victorious king as he rolled, in, rolled into town. Uh, palm branches were used. People would grab palm branches off trees as a, as a victorious general would come back from the battlefield with all of his war prizes and, and defeated enemies and come back into town and they would grab palm branches and they would wave palm branches. It was the ticker tape of the day. 
Okay, so they're having a ticker tape parade, uh, if you will. And, and it may have been just a parade to the crowd, but to Jesus, he knew that the next time he came into Jerusalem, according to scripture. We already read a passage, one passage that was written 500 years before Jesus showed up. But there's a bunch of passages that were written about Jesus. And he knew, because he's also God, that the next time he came to Jerusalem, in other words, when he returns one day, the next time he came to Jerusalem, palm trees were going to be waving at him. Well, what do you mean palm trees? Well, Psalm 96 the psalmist writes this, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound in all that is in it, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them, let all the trees of the forest sing for joy, let creation rejoice because the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. Isaiah 55, the prophet writes this, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace and the mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Jesus knows that the next time he comes back that palm branches will be waving but they'll still be attached to the trees because the, the creator king has come back. That he knows that one day Jesus will, he will come back. And when Jesus does come back, he will restore everything as, if, as it was supposed to be. He will restore everything as it was intended to be in the first place. That, that he, will have, he has defeated sin and death. And when he does return one day, there will be no more death. There will be no more sin. There will be no more goodbyes. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more disease. There'll be no more hatred or poverty or racism. There'll be none of that. That everything that is under the authority of the one true king will blossom. And that includes us. So, so how do we, how does true kingliness, how, how do we get the heart of the king in us? Well, the moment that we allow him to ride into our hearts and our lives as the one true king and have him sit as king in our lives, we get two things. Number one, we get a servant's heart. We get a servant's heart. That Jesus comes as meek and lowly, he comes as a servant. Now, it's possible for you and I to serve other people, but we're really not doing it for them, we're doing it for us. See, we're using them to make us feel better about ourselves. Or we're using them so that they owe us one down the road. But that's not a true humble servant. A true humble servant is someone who says, I don't care if I get anything in return. I don't care if anybody sees me. I don't care if this relationship goes anywhere. I don't care if this friendship grows. I just want to meet the needs of the people around us. I want to meet the needs of the people around me. And that you and I, we should be a, a, a people, we should be brothers and sisters with the kingliness of Jesus in our lives, going outside these doors and serving our city in a way that it transforms the individuals and the groups of people that we come in contact with. And you know where that starts? It starts with the people that we live with. It starts with the people that we live with. That we need to, we need to fig figure out how can we serve the people that we live with. Teenagers, what, what, what will it look like 
in your house, if, if, if you said, how can I serve and meet the needs of my parents? And you're like, well, I already do that. I take out the trash and I unload the dishwasher and I mow the yard. I'm okay, okay. That's, that, that, that's called room and board, okay? Um, but what would it look like if you were really to tr- truly serve your brothers and sisters and your parents? Parents, what would it look like for us to serve, to meet the needs of our children? And, and let that be the, one of the tenets of our family, that we're going to serve one another. And then it moves out to our neighbors and our coworkers and our classmates. And we're looking for opportunities to, to serve and to meet needs. And you're like, well, you know, what if I come up on a need that's too big for me to meet? Well, look around the room. You've got a room full of brothers and sisters to lock arms with. That, that you guys, you've already established a together fund, a, a, an account that has money in it that, that that is there to meet the needs of people within our church and our community. And so let's, let's go meet the needs of the people around us. And let's do it in the name of Jesus. So we get the heart of a servant. But we also, number two, we get a lion's heart. That Jesus comes brave and victorious. He's our warrior king. And so how do we get this heart of a lion? Well, in, in, in Luke chapter 10, is the story of Jesus sending out his 12 disciples with the authority to cast out demons and, and heal sick people. And they come back and, you know, to Jesus, and Jesus says, well, how did it go? And they're like, man, this is awesome. Man, this is amazing. I mean, even, even spirits obeyed us. We healed people. I mean, we were going around just laying hands on your name, and it was amazing. And this is how Jesus reads. This is what he says to them. Luke chapter 10 He says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, kingly courage, the heart of a lion comes from knowing that our names are written on King Jesus' heart. True courage, true bravery comes from knowing that, that we are his and he is ours. That he's our father and we're, we are his children. And, and, and that thought alone should be the source of our identity. Should be the source of our acceptance and approval and significance. That right there should be our security. That should be our, the source of our hope. And when we remember that, who cares what people say about us? Yes, it hurts and it stings and I wish they wouldn't said that. But you know what? What they say has no authority over me because my name is written in heaven. And I am, and I am his and he is mine. And so that's, that's the truth that gives us this lion's heart when we face difficult circumstances and impossible situations. And problems start in our lives, or problems get out of hand in our lives, I should say, when we forget that. When we forget whose we are and who we are. That we are his and he is ours. Man, as the band comes, ah, uh, Man, I, I just want to give us a homework assignment. And uh, it, it's a small one. But, um, but as you read scripture, I, I want to invite you to circle the different names and characteristics of God. 
And so as we're going through John or, or as you turn to a psalm that, that, that you would just circle a, a name of God or Jesus or, uh, or a characteristic. And, and that will only take just a, a few seconds. And then you would look back over the words that you, that you circled. And in, in this passage, you know, we would have circled Jesus and Lord and King of Israel and Jesus and King and Jesus. As you look back over, pick one to say, say, God, this is what I need for you to be in my life. And I would look back and I would say, God, I need you to be the king of my life. And God, I, I, I know, and I know that you know that there are some days that it's not always like that. God, I know there's some areas in my life that you're not king over. But God, would you, would you show me that there really is nothing better than you and that you need to sit as king over every area of my life? And Father, that you would put your heart, the heart of a king in me and that you would make me a servant and give me the heart of a lion. And Father, that I would be a reflection of you to the people around me this week. Today, remind me as I go into this difficult meeting, as I go into this difficult tryout, as I go and pitch this client, would you remind me no matter what they say, no matter what the outcome is, that you're my king. You're my father. And I'm your child. And nothing that happens and nothing that's said in this meeting changes that. How freeing would that be? So that's our homework. To start reading scripture like that. And allow the word of God to reveal who God is. In whole. Completely. 